0: I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. I am really excited because this week Sweaty Betty are supporting the podcast and in doing so are helping to ensure that I get to keep putting out this weekly show When I first started Another Kind, I wrote a list of all the brands that it would be a dream for me to work with, and Sweaty Betty was one of those brands. So it does feel a little bit like a dream come true that they are working with me on the podcast, because not only do I absolutely love the product, I've worn their leggings for years, and let me tell you, they last incredibly well. I also love what the brand stands for and how female empowerment really is at the core of the brand. You can absolutely tell that they've got an all-female design team. And if you follow me Instagram, you will know that I've just started very slowly exercising again now that Rose is three months and I've been wearing my Sweaty Betty Zero Gravity Leggings. They are super comfortable and really flattering, which is giving me confidence as I'm slowly getting out there into the world of exercise again. I mean, let's be Honest, I'm also wearing the leggings a lot when I'm not exercising, let's be real. And they also look great as I'm on the nursery run or just running around with the girls. So I would love you to try Sweaty Betty, and you can get 20% off full price product with code MOTHERKIND. So that's MOTHERKIND at the checkout for 20% off. Now, on to this week's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Mother Kind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. This episode is with Hannah Barrett, who you might know better as Yoga Girl London. Hannah has a real passion for helping people transform their lives through yoga, particularly mothers, which is obviously why we had this conversation. She specialises in pre and postnatal yoga now it's important for me to say this episode does come with a trigger warning because hannah shares in detail the trauma that she went through during her daughter's early days which was very traumatic and left her with ptsd so a huge part of the conversation is discussing how yoga helped save her sanity from that when she felt totally lost and in a really dark place So even if you're not into yoga, I think you're really going to still get a lot out of this episode. We also discuss self-care, her happy habits, as she calls them, and how she learned to ask for help having found that really challenging to start with just to repeat this does come with a trigger warning i hope you really enjoyed the episode and as ever please do rate review and subscribe it and if there's someone that you're thinking about as you listen to the episode please do share it with them here it is so hannah welcome to the podcast Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, we've only just met this morning, but we've just been chatting. We were like, we better start recording. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really excited to chat about all things yoga, because as you know, it's a passion of mine. But I think what's really interesting is to start is how you got into yoga, because you weren't always
1: a teacher, were you? No, no, no. So my background is actually weirdly in maths. Yeah, everyone's a bit shocked. Yeah, I did a master's degree and then I trained as an actuary and I worked as an actuary for nearly 10 years. And then I got pregnant and I realised after having my first jack, I needed to change. I couldn't go back to having crazy hours anymore because my job was crazy hours and I could have gone back to a nine to five, but I didn't want to. I wanted to try something new and I had been doing yoga on and off for a few years. But then when I fell pregnant, I... I ramped it up and I realised how much it helped. And I started a daily practice at that point and it just all clicked and made sense. What did it help with? It helped... I think primarily with my mind like the stress so when I was in my first trimester I'd had a bleed and I you know I didn't realize and it was fine and I didn't actually realize how common they are and yeah throughout pregnancy and so I found pregnancy actually quite stressful because I was always waiting for it to happen again so I really found that it calmed me and that element was amazing the breathing and stuff just going into the class for the first time being brought into child's pose and told to like breathe, it's just like oh gosh yes actually we have this tool inside us but we don't tend to use it, we take it for granted and then also it helped with the aches and pains, it helped keep me strong, it helped me move, it was really helpful and after I'd had Jack like you know, the times where you think you're going crazy, you, you know, you're in this sleep deprived mess and the house is messy and you just want to scream and you just think, you know, then your training comes in and you just think, okay, hang on a second, let's just sit for a second, have a bit of quiet. Yeah, it really helps.
0: So when did you decide to train as a teacher? Because I
1: think lots of people have
0: that experience of lots of people go to pregnancy yoga, don't they? Mm. I was going
1: to say, actually, I didn't go to pregnancy yoga. Oh, interesting. I did, but after. So I started probably the daily practice slightly before I was pregnant. So I said that a bit wrong there. I got kind of more into it, and then just before I got married, when I was really stressed, I kind of started this selling practice, so I had like a one-on-one teacher to help me, and then I'd do it on my mat at home when I could. So I kind of kept that up, because when I went to a pregnancy class, I found it too slow. Yes. And from someone who's always gone to the gym and been strong and moved and stuff, I needed something a bit more dynamic. So I started about 20 weeks or so going to a weekly pregnancy yoga class, but mainly just to learn help with birth, help with breathing, some nice stretches but my practice was really at home on my mat if that makes sense. Yeah it
0: does, it does and so what point did you train, what point did you decide to make it a
1: bigger part of your life? So probably Jack was about eight months and I did a year-long training so that's when I started it just because I needed that time with a little one it wasn't going to work doing an intensive. We were chatting a bit before we came on but he had silent reflux and we didn't realize this until about three months in and he was just such a bad sleeper and it didn't actually kick in until I had my daughter who was an amazing sleeper that I was like oh my god are meant to sleep and he would sleep always on me maximum half an hour I just didn't realize that you know babies are meant to sleep and so it got to about three months and I had severe sleep deprivation and I just realized I wasn't okay and I you know spoke to husband about it went to go and get therapy and I got through the other end, but my yoga really helped complement the therapy. So I kind of just realised, actually, it gives you so much strength. I want to learn how to teach it so I can help others. That's kind of where the idea came from. And so when you said it gave me so much strength, because we were
0: just talking a bit before about that time of, you know, when Jack was not sleeping and you were sleep deprived, because I know sometimes when I'm in that state, the last thing that I want to do is move my body really Someti- yeah sometimes most of the time i want to just lie down
1: <laughs> so weirdly i'm a bit opposite to that so yes when i feel like i've got no energy or whatever for me it's all about getting that kind of calm of mind to clear the mind the whole point of yoga, cessation of the of the mind so stopping that monkey mind and sometimes I can do it and I've got much better now by doing it from just sitting and breathing and trying to focus but back then I actually needed the movement to try and stop all these kind of like negative thoughts to stop the mind just going crazy even if it was like a gentle flow it'd be like movement to help me get that calm if that makes sense it makes total sense because
0: yeah. I think I interestingly came sitting meditation first before yeah. yoga So I will always go there first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with your monkey mind now, because I know that's something that a lot of mums and a lot of people listening will relate to is it calm all the time or is it calm when you get on your mat can you talk about that and the benefits that you found from calming this incessant critic and chatter
1: yeah so it depends and I've got a good example actually I really really try and stand by a daily meditation practice and I notice when I haven't done it and I haven't done it the past few weeks so today I've brought it back in and I know it's going to help me so we were on holiday last week for a few weeks and we had a disastrous end to the holiday. My husband had a really bad fall. He split his head open. There was blood everywhere. It was oh, awful. No. It was horrendous. And it was really stressful. Thank God the kids didn't see, you know, it was awful for him. and it, But it was really awful to watch. And it just, we were talking afterwards. So about The two of you just together. The two of us together. Oh and He just, just slipped on the jetty. It was really slippy. And he, and he, I gashed his eye and he got all these other injuries. And it was just like, there was just so much blood. And I think we'll go talk about what happened with my daughter, but blood for me has a real, I'm not very good with it. And so the whole thing, and we were talking afterwards, God, it could have been so much worse. It could have fallen also. you know, the whole what ifs and stuff and all the techniques that I've got, the meditation, the breathing, the things I was using them to try and sort myself out because I was really struggling. I was struggling to sleep and I kept getting flashbacks from it and just thinking, oh my God, it could have been so much worse and it wasn't working. So I actually needed to get on my mat to do it. And I remember getting on my mat thinking I was going to do this really slow practice, but I couldn't to calm it, to try and find that peace in my mind. I just needed to move and do some repetitive flowing over and over again to try and get that calm. And mm. over the last few days, like now I can go back to the breathing and stuff and it's helping. But yeah, we just need all these tools to help us. Don't what I love about what you're
0: saying is so many people, because there's a view of yoga a lot of, Yoga teachers look a certain way, don't they? Yeah. Is that it's about this getting your body strong. But what I'm hearing and what I love, and my experience of yoga, is that it gets my mind strong yeah. That's the
1: thing. That's exactly it. And lots of people come to the mat wanting to do all these crazy postures, asthmas, but really they're drawn back time and time again because how it makes you feel. And the, the amount of times that I've
0: sobbed through a child's pose oh, no. oh, or a
1: hip opener or because yeah. you know, we store this makes... emotion in our bodies don't we it does and interestingly actually we'll go back to it And I tell you what happened with Amelie because of the trauma of what happened I couldn't do heart openers for a year afterwards I just couldn't I they made me oh I can't explain it was a really it's really hard to to put it into words but I just couldn't do it I couldn't open my heart and it's something about that and actually once I had opened up about it and got through therapy and released what I needed to release then now I can I can do backgrounds again so interesting isn't it and
0: we talked loads on the podcast about trauma and how it gets held in the body so tell us a bit
1: about your daughter then because you mentioned it so yeah tell us that story so apart from what I was saying with my son about the bleed at the beginning the pregnancy was normal and I, I think I did yoga pretty much I think I did it till the day that he was born like I was able to physically move I didn't have apart from lower back pain I didn't have any issues And he was a small baby. And because of that, I was being monitored when I was pregnant the second time. But there wasn't, you know, he was fine. So I had extra monitoring. But it wasn't until, I was trying to think, maybe about 28 weeks that we realised something wasn't quite right. And they were wondering whether my placenta wasn't working quite properly because she was growing quite small. It just got scarier and scarier because I then was having two weekly scans. And the first time they were like, oh, a it's small come back in two weeks second time they were like literally marched me to the desk and went you're seeing consultant the next day the next time they were like wouldn't let me leave the hospital until I saw someone so it all got a bit scary and then they finally said look we don't think your pregnancy is working how it should be we're going to induce you so you'll have her between 35 and 37 weeks and I think at this point I was about 34 and a half weeks so me and my husband came home we were like oh okay this was a bit, you know, unexpected, but got the hospital bag ready. And then I think it literally was that night, went to bed, and I woke up. I woke up thinking, God, I haven't felt her move for a while. So I was giving a poke, and then I got up thinking I'd go downstairs in a minute and get some ice water to see if that would make her move. And I went to the bathroom, and I had a horrendous bleed. Like, I honestly have never seen so much blood. I thought I was having a miscarriage, I couldn't feel her move. My husband, who's usually so calm and collected, didn't know what to do. And I was like, you have to ring the hospital. He obviously were like, because I the maternity, he was like, no, ring an ambulance. Like literally within minutes, we're so lucky in London, we had an ambulance there, went to hospital. And they said they think I'd had this partial placental abruption. So I was monitored, but they basically very quickly decided that I needed to be induced. So I was induced, and the I'm going to say this now actually because if anyone's pregnant or having thoughts that they're going to have to go through induction, people really scare you. And the, I did hypnobirthing, and in my hypnobirthing book I'm reading because I knew I had to have the induction. It's like avoid at all costs. Yes, and I'm like that's so unhelpful. But actually, but well, if it depends if it's for
0: a medical reason, which yeah, yours it was, had to, I had it's to to a take, totally different scenario. I think when it's just for other reasons that might not be as exactly medical you know i think you're absolutely right induction for a medical reason is life-saving
1: right? it, it just had to happen there was yeah. no you know i was so terrified there was something wrong with her i just want to tell you guys that my experience of induction was really not bad obviously it was my second time so the first birth was like i had jack vaginally and in a water birth and so i'd done it before and it was more intense, but I don't know if that was because of the induction or because I was so scared. And the main thing about hypnobirthing is obviously get rid of the fear. Yep. So on the kind of 24-hour lead up while I was being induced, I was trying to get rid of that fear. I was like listening to like meditations and we went and saw the room that I was going to give birth in and stuff like that to try and calm as much as possible. And then when they inspected, what do you call it, they- They look at you before. Oh, yeah, examined. Examined, that's the word I (laughs) They were like, okay, yeah, you're one centimetre, you're on the list to the labour ward. And then I stopped bleeding again. And I was like, oh, God. So we would said to my husband, because obviously Jack was at home, I was like, don't come in unless, you know, unless I'm on the labour ward, I could be on for ages. And I just rang him and I was like, I need you here. Like, I'm so scared. So he came and because of the bleed, I was like rushed onto the labour ward. And I just thought in my head, I was going, I'm going to have to have a cesarean. And I have no qualms and I don't think anyone is bad in any way for having a cesarean my negative about cesarean is because I am so scared of needles and a needle in my back and the actuary in me which is all like all about risk and stuff I'm like but there's obviously a chance of paralysis and that was going through my mind so that's why for me like a cesarean was scary but I thought oh my god I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to have one because something's wrong with her but they monitor you the doctor came in and was like we're gonna break your waters and then we'll see and they broke my waters and As soon as I was allowed to stand off the bed, she was born within 60 minutes. Like, it was so fast. And I remember leaning over the bed and having that textbook moment thinking, I can't do this. I'm going to have to have some pain relief. I can't do it. And then she came. And then she came really quickly, actually. And the midwife saw, because you hear, like, I did the whole classic, like, mooing noise. And I was like, I can't control it. And she was like, stop. Get on the bed, lie down the bed. I'm like, I can't lie down the bed, so I'm like crawling on the bed on all fours while she's running out the room, yelling at me not to push and going, "We need a neonatal doctor in here now!" Like, oh my god! So I'm at my husband, who's like, "It's okay, Han. Like, we've got six people in the room now. You're fine. Like, everyone had come in." And then, literally, next contraction, she was out. She was four pounds. She was so small. I remember them giving her to me and they'd wrapped her in like bundles and bundles of blankets and put this ridiculous beanie on her head because she was so small. And then they were like, oh, can we have her back now? And I was like, I can't touch her. She's so small. You're gonna have to come and pick her off me she's so tiny. And then she went to NICU. And it was, yeah. I think if you've ever been through NICU baby, like an issue with your baby before, like we knew there was the big possibility she would have to, but you don't know what that means. You just don't know what that means until you're in that situation. And there are three levels. Nikki is neonatal intensive care and she went into the scariest level the high risk I can't remember what the top one is it's this weird feeling because you're running on adrenaline the whole time you know I was like I had to stay in the present because everything else was too terrifying I was gonna say did your practice kick in it did It did as much as it could. I just thought, you know, all this future what-ifs was too scary. Thinking back to what had happened was just, gave me panic attacks. So like, had to just stay there. But she couldn't breathe. She couldn't obviously eat. She had jaundice. And then she had sepsis. And they just knew she had this infection. It wasn't until we left that we knew it was sepsis. And then actually, I only realized the other day, because I was writing it down, at one stage, we thought she had brain damage as well. And I'd forgotten about that whole terrifying part of it. But the weird thing is you're in this room with the most incredible nurses in the whole wide world. They're so amazing. Anyone who is a NICU nurse, I think you're incredible. And she had twins next to her in two different incubators. So she was 1.8 kilos and these twins were 0.8 kilos. they have been born at 24 weeks and you just mm. got it. You put it into perspective. Like what they can do nowadays is amazing. So the first week after she was born was terrifying. I couldn't hold her. So I could hold her that first time. And then I wasn't allowed to hold her until four days later. You got PTSD. So I did, and I didn't realize until about three months later when I just couldn't function properly. Like, there's an advert on the TV, you probably wouldn't notice, it's the Pampers permature Baby advert, and it would literally give me panic attacks. I would, just couldn't deal with it. And I just was tired. She had, unlike Jack's silent reflux, she had reflux reflux, the kind of projectile vomit you've never seen in your life before. Right. And so feeding took a long time. She didn't sleep well and stuff in the night because she, you know. And at what point did you get on your mat? I got on my mat really soon after she was born. I was really lucky because I'd been able to have her naturally because she'd only been four pounds. I spoke to the midwife doctor and my physiotherapist and I was like, I need to move. Like I need to, otherwise I'm going to go mental. And they were like. It sounds like moving is a big part of your toolkit to ground is. you. I need to get some other tools because if there comes a point where I do such to myself that I can't move, I'm going to be in trouble. And that's when actually i started writing this postnatal guide. So mm. I teamed up with my physiotherapist friend, amazing th- physiotherapist in London called Phenela Borel, and we wrote this book together to help mums get strength through yoga after having a baby. And I was putting that into practice after having Emily as well. And I think at this stage after having her, I'd realised it with Jack, but I realised after having her, how much you need to care for yourself, care for your mind. Self-care is key because as mums, we don't give it to ourselves. We think by sitting down and having a cup of tea, it's selfish or by having a bath or whatever it is. But actually we have to look after ourselves first. So tell us about that guy, because I'm postnatal now, I'm three months
0: postnatal and I'm starting to do some gentle Yeah. Gentle movement. Can you just share a little bit about that philosophy? I guess first, it's most interesting. Yeah, and then maybe some tips or ideas that people listening might be able to put into practice.
1: So, I got the idea after actually having Jack mainly because I'd injured myself. I'd injured my rotator cuff and I'd worsen my diastasis. So, okay. the, yeah, separation of the stomach muscles. And I just thought, hang on a second. I'm an educated person, but I don't understand. I was googling. Everything was conflicting online, and I was confused so I got together with Fanola and we wrote this guide that can be used from day one and it comes in three different stages obviously the first stage is so gentle and it's about reconnecting to your body reconnecting to your core learning the pelvic floor learning that abdominal deep abdominal activation so your TRA to learn how to re-engage it because everything is key the core is key if you miss this step you'll probably end up going backwards and you won't feel that connection to your body. It's so true about the core because I walked up the stairs yesterday and I pulled my core in and I was like, God, I
0: feel so disconnected from that area of my body. And, you, and it's so I normal. I really do. I feel like I just can't feel it. And then it's big and I've never had a big tummy
1: really and I'm just really big right now and I just feel very... <laughs> dis- well, yeah, it's, it's personal, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to definitely give you the guide afterwards so you can try, but it's also just the education as well so you can understand what's happened to your body and what you can do to help it because i'll carry on talking about the stages in a minute but one of the reasons is people have diastasis people have prolapse people have back pain whatever it is or incontinence there are so many things that people have after having a baby that are taboo no one wants to talk about and it's getting better now but it's still not as good and actually Yes, you can go and see a women's health physio if you can afford to. I'd say definitely go and see one, but not everyone can. And there are some exercises you can do at home that you should do after you've had a baby that are easy to do, basically so that's kind of another reason why we wrote it and then stage two kind of ramps it up a bit where from about week two to six brings in a little bit of arm strength progresses the pelvic floor exercises progresses the deep abdominal exercises and then from when you're ready or after you've had your six week check if you're ready it shows you some yoga circuits you can do at home that will build strength and they're not easy they're hard because they're meant to take 30 minutes while your baby naps or sits next to you. Amelie used to sit next to me when I was doing it. But it educates you. So it's like, well, hang on a second. Instead of doing a plank, this is what you should do. And if you want to do a plank, this is what you should watch for to make sure you're doing it properly. Because the key is if you're not doing things properly, then that's when you can worsen your symptoms. And also in the guide, so you're asking helpful tips. Because you remember, well, you've probably got at the moment the ache, the yeah, breastfeeding, ache yeah, or the feeding ache, yeah. whatever, the shoulders. Because with Amelie, I was feeding her bottles and expressing. And I just remember being like, oh, my gosh, I just needed to open my heart. So I put this flow in there that is a real restorative flow, but it used to, like, be my life save that I do in the evenings. You can pick poses that you want to do. One of my phases just legs up the wall because oh, yeah, it's so good. That one. But, like, heart openers to just help open through the chest. And open those areas that are really...
0: I think small. what I like about your approach, you know, I follow lots of yoga teachers and I know lots of yoga teachers, but I love that it's so accessible because we were chatting a bit before, weren't we, is that a lot of yoga classes are an hour and a half. Yeah. And by the time you've got to the class and you've done, it's, I think it's pretty inaccessible for most mums that i, it's I so it's expensive you have Sorry. to get child care and classes you know depending where you are in the country it can be anything up to 20 pounds which is so much money isn't it it is
1: expensive
0: so talking about that accessibility is it better then for someone to do a little bit like 10 minutes a day every day or is it better to do it in a chunk that's something that someone asked me on instagram when, when i said oh, i really
1: okay It's better to do little and often, I would say. like I try and get on my mat every day or six days a week. I think people think sometimes that I'm on it constantly because I don't show much of the rest of my life. (laughs) But most of the time, it's about 15 minutes just because I don't have enough time. If you want to build strength, then I try and add in about three times a week, like a 20-minute session, or if you've got it, half an hour, and do like a high intensity. But again, just make sure it's safe because what I said we were doing with strength through yoga is to make sure that we show modifications and show watch points. You know, the main one is the doming of the abdominals that you're not properly engaging your deep core muscles. So mm. all that will mean is that you're using other muscles so you can end up getting back pain, say. And also, you know, the dreaded word, I hate it, mum-tum. But if you're not properly engaging your core, that's worse than your dust and you'll get people call mum-tum. Okay, interesting. And because you don't share
0: a lot of your other life on Instagram I want to ask you about it all right okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) something that we talk about on the podcast is self-care and you've already mentioned it how good are you at looking after yourself and what practices do you do you know you've talked about getting on the mat, but what other tools do you have how do
1: you relax how do you look after yourself so I have like happy habits I call them (laughs) nice tell us (laughs) that sounds so formal doesn't it I've called them so in the morning I try and do 10 minutes of breathing I usually use a like a meditation app I've got a collection of faves my favorites are Headspace, Calm and Expectable which is a pre and post native one yeah really good have you heard of heard of it yeah it's nice it's really nice I like it and then my next bit of, like, my day is, like, I bring in gratefulness, like, gratitude. But I do it with the kids. So we play the happy and grateful game. This has actually reminded me, we haven't played it since we went so we've been back. But we all think of three things that we're happy and grateful for. And it's so cute. Doing you know it over breakfast? Over or breakfast. Or yeah. So it's not like a, you know, just a fun thing to do while we're eating. It's not, like, a regimented thing. I'm trying to remember my son the other day was, like, I'm happy and grateful for my body because I can jump. The, the sunny day and my chocolate croissant. And then my daughter's always like, what are you having in grateful family? She's always starts with daddy. So she's always like, Aww. and I'm like, hi, I'm right here. But no, it's really sweet. It's really sweet listening to them. It's a really nice way to start the whole day. And there's so much research that's gone into gratitude and then linked to happiness. And then, so my evening routine is really important to me as well, I always end by, I've got a journal that I do it and by write down three positive things that have happened that day. So the days that this works the best in is the bad days. So you think, actually, do you know what? I had a really nice lunch today. I saw someone that I loved. Like, you know, it just flips your perspective, which is so important. And I read, I love reading. So I'll read like a novel before I go to bed, even if it's at the moment I'm jet lagged. So it's literally for two minutes before my eyes are closing, but I'll always fit that into my day. I have quite similar. Do you? Yeah. Oh, okay. what
0: yours? What yours? Yeah, so I well I do at least
1: 10 minutes meditation
0: a day, not always in the morning because obviously I've got tiny tiny one right yeah. now. Good. I too write a gratitude list. I force myself to write more than 20. Do you? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. I force oh, myself because my what I notice is when I get to about 15, I think there's nothing else I can possibly be grateful for and that's when I start to get a bit Deeper, yeah, okay. and I start saying, God, I'm actually really grateful for the way that I noticed I reacted differently to that person. Things that I wouldn't be at the top of the list, basically, but actually are the most profound.
1: That's a really good idea. But do you find that you repeat yourself?
0: No. Oh, right. Okay, oh, no, I don't let myself repeat myself. That's the challenge I said. No, to. no, a bit on consecutive days. No, no, no. I wouldn't say the same things. Okay. No, they have to be specific for that day. Oh, right. So I wouldn't say, like, oh, I'm grateful for Guy, Jesse. Oh okay. no, it would be like I'm grateful for the way that Guy noticed the dishwasher needed emptying and did it. I'm grateful for the oh way God, Jessie... That's so nice. Yeah, I because I found and I've found with clients that I invite to do this with me too, is the more specific I am, the more I think it seems to work. I'm gonna try it and I'm gonna let you try know. I love that yeah idea. Yeah, because really I good. think when the gratitude lists get like general like I'm grateful for this for me when I was doing that it became a bit wallpapery yeah, yeah like yeah. I didn't connect to it yeah like I didn't feel it in my heart yeah yeah okay I love it that's a really good idea yeah so I make mine specific and long and then if I can I'll do some written journaling just yeah. five minutes yeah, like I'll ask too. myself a question like normally what am I avoiding yeah. or what am I afraid of yeah, yeah or yeah. you know how could I be more loving or what's coming up do you know and I'll just rewrite on something yeah. for five minutes I find it's amazing do you do that too yeah yeah I do and it's really good and it is those difficult questions that help the most yeah on my website I've got some like questions that people can answer yeah because I just find it so I I just find it so powerful journaling it
1: totally changed my life when I discovered it it did I 100% agree I started when I was doing my teacher training and I have never turned back
0: yeah it's amazing that these simple accessible I know tools and so when you don't do the things when you don't do your happiness habits are you kind to yourself about it
1: yeah I've got much kinder to myself Mm -hmm. and that's been so after when I realized that I had PTSD with Amelie I was in therapy for a year I think over a year to try and kind of get myself out of it and that I realized how unkind I've been to myself at that point going through therapy and so I've really switched now so I don't beat myself up about things now it's just sometimes how did you make that switch people are always really interested in that. that's a really hard question i think a lot of soul searching and it's changes aren't going to happen in days it's going to take persistence and perseverance and you're going to stumble backwards and you're going to walk forwards keep going and did you realize because sometimes with people that i chat to or work with they won't realize that they have a
0: really strong critic or a tricky relationship with themselves. Did you realize that before you went into therapy?
1: No. And I'm like, my I'm therapist being like, because I really beat myself up about with Jack, I'd had no help. And then with Emily, I was like, I'm gonna get some childcare help. And I beat myself up about it. And she was just like trying to get me to realise that it wasn't this, and I do not know where it had come from, but it took months for me to go. And like, now I'm like, of course I needed help. Like also, because I was starting a business. It's just, we always try and do everything ourselves and we can't do everything ourselves, obviously. So now I'm like, my top tip to mums is just, if you need and can get help, then please accept help, get help. We can't do it but with I think, it alone. I think, yes, I
0: totally agree with you, but I think it's easy to say that, isn't it? But with your mindset, which I think a lot of, us, our generation of women have that mindset, particularly if we had parents who were pushing us or, you know, maybe critical or success was like high on the agenda, which I know it was for me, then I think it's really hard actually to accept help. I know it's been like an ongoing practice for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you still find it hard today? Do you feel like actually you've really integrated that idea that you got from therapy that you are worth looking after and
1: your relationship with yourself is the most important thing it's definitely got easier a lot a lot easier but sometimes I still struggle it's I think it just this thing called life is constantly you're constantly learning you're constantly practicing yeah it's like look at everything as i suppose an experiment and challenge and yeah. know you're learning from everything and something bad will happen but you'll learn from it it's not a step back everything's a step forward you're always learning and that's what i try and yoga philosophy is really that
0: isn't it is how do we find that calm and oneness which sounds so
1: cheesy but it's true isn't it? it's, it's so with ourselves. true it's so difficult because yoga sometimes gets such a bad name and yeah. then you get into it and you realize like it just makes so much sense It's trying to like tell it to someone who's not a yogi at all without them going, like rolling their eyes. My husband rolls his eyes at me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not gonna
0: lie. (laughs) So what's your sort of favourite or the thing that really touches
1: your heart about yoga and and the bigger meaning of it? It's like the community feel, like community and kindness. Like it teaches you to be kind, kind to yourself, kind to others. And we're always trying to do our best, aren't we? But there's always going to be times where you don't do what you want, you know, it's trying to be kind to yourself always, even when you've done something that doesn't align with your values and you just learn from it.
0: Mm, that's so true. And I love that. And one of my yoga teachers said, when you can't do a pose or you fall out of a pose, you have to smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's the thing. And that's the same in life, like, because there's always things that I'm be rubbish at and fail at and get wrong and mess up and
1: mess up a hundred times a day. And what yoga really taught me is that is how to handle that. Yeah. Absolutely. It is funny. I started my teacher training so worried about the people around me, the fact I wasn't as good. I've never been actually that flexible. I find flexibility hard, strength was always easier. And I just kind of compared myself continuously. And then 12 months later, I'm thinking, I don't do that anymore. Like, it just isn't an issue for me anymore. And I always use that example. You're saying, like, things take practice. And people are always like, oh, I've tried meditation. It's not for me. I find it too hard. But if you're expecting to learn how to handstand, you wouldn't get on the mat and kick up and be like, boom, I've done it. You know, maybe there is someone who would do that, but the majority of us wouldn't. Everything takes time and practice. That's so true. And I think that's true of yoga itself,
0: isn't it? Because some people say to me, oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible and I'm like well (laughs) no one's (laughs) flexible yeah maybe the yoga would help you be flexible it's so funny isn't
1: it it's like expecting ourselves to be the finished article but also I think maybe there's a little protection inside ourselves looking at the perfect world of Instagram Mm -hmm. yogis and going well actually that girl looks incredible that I can't do that you know we all are you aware of that
0: because you obviously look a certain way I mean you look incredible you (laughs) are like your videos are quite
1: polished like are you aware of that and how do you handle that so two things firstly you always notice i do videos yeah. mainly because you don't get the full story from a picture and you could see going back to handstanding you could see a picture of me doing a handstand but it doesn't show the full picture that i'm learning still and i find it really hard to stay and up you're about and, to fall out I'm about to fall yeah. out and and so videos i think are much more educational can help people more and it's difficult, isn't it? Because I try and make my page accessible. So Fenola and I team up a lot and give a lot of free advice out. And she modifies a lot to make it more accessible to people. Because I realise even things now that I find easy, people really struggle with. Like, for example, stepping from three-legged dog to the front of the mat. It's really tricky for some people. Mm. So how can you help people? And also, I hope that people don't look at my page and feel downhearted and I, oh, I never word I think yeah. and I
0: think because of the tone of what you do. Yeah. But I think it's an interesting because I imagine there are
1: some people listening who think oh yoga's not for me. Yeah. What definitely. would you say to that person? I would say please try it out please try because there are so many different varieties of yoga now you can go to a restorative class or you can go to a power class whatever it is or a kundalini we're talking about ali there are so many different styles and there are so many different teachers within that like vinyasa for example i teach vinyasa class and my class can be extremely different from the next person so try it out and try it out for at least a month. My mother-in-law, I bought her yoga lessons for Christmas or some one-on-one. Did she want them? She's been talking about <laughs> okay. it for years about getting into it, but it's scary because she's strong. Anyway, so I bought her some one-on-one lessons, but I was saying to her, look, the beginning is the hardest part because it's so tricky. Like I remember mm. when I couldn't touch my toes. Yeah, like, same, I remember. It's really hard. So give it at least a month or two and then maybe you'll start to see little... Little changes, maybe it's with your body or maybe it's with how you deal with life off the mat. But I think yoga can impact everyone. It can I think influence. that's such a wise thing as well. It's easy to forget that that this term
0: yoga, I mean, is so broad, isn't it? Know, it's like exactly. the term therapy. It's like I'm actually unhelpful because it's so broad. Yeah. And in my experience, like I was drawn to different teachers and kundalini, like yeah it's so weird that I trained in Kundalini <laughs> in so many ways but I was just so drawn to it and I just thought I'm gonna go with it exactly I'm gonna I go with it I am go with girl. it and I showed up on this teacher training and I've never really done more than a couple of classes before, but I just knew I had to be there. Yeah, it was just the, yeah. Yeah. So that's sometimes what I say is, I think yoga is one of those things that you can follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. You know, you might notice a flyer or you think, I'm going to try
1: that or a friend might mention it, you know, and just keep trying, isn't it? It is definitely because you'll find the teacher or the style that really resonates with you and then you'll go back. And for me, like, because I don't do much other exercise apart from yoga and walking, So I build my strength training into my yoga practice because it makes it fun. It makes it like, you know, that is just what I like to do. And it doesn't mean I have to go to the gym And because you sometimes when you go to the gym, you're like, I don't want to be here. Like I always want to be on my mat when I'm on my mat. Mm. And you can roll it out anywhere. It's easy. Mm. And the
0: final question that I always ask everyone is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the world, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, I would give you the gift of just knowing you are not alone. Whatever you're going through whatever you're thinking whatever is happening in your life to your body to your mind know that you're not alone and there's help out there and support maybe it's someone who's close to you maybe it's a trusted health professional I know from being there and being in a really bad place that it's always better to talk please share with other people just know that you're not alone so true and it's so important thank you no thank you so much for having me
0: so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a
1: wonderful rest of your day. Take care.